Welcome to Northern Gold, a football podcast from the Evening Express and Press and Journal. I'm Ryan Kryle and joining me today, we're actually in a studio together, well three of us are, Andy Skinner's tuned in over the phone, but in here with me, Danny Law, Jamie Gerent, and of course, yes, Andy, as I mentioned, how are we guys? All good. Very well, thank you. Yeah, all good, thanks, Ryan. Plenty to discuss today. Aberdeen missed out on the top six at the weekend, courtesy of Joseph Hungbo's penalty at Pataudry. But of course, that meant one of our other teams, Ross County, are in the top half for the last five games of the season with an eye on Europe come next season. So we'll discuss that game and what it means for both clubs, as well as Inverness showing their soft side once again to give up a two-goal lead against Air United. And Cove closing in very... It's it's very near now the League One title for Cove could could get it this weekend even there's also Peterhead and Elgin of course as well but yes Andy let's start at Pataudry you were at the game covering it for the Press and Journal and even Express a lot of Aberdeen fans been saying afterwards that they couldn't believe how meek a performance it was given the circumstances given it was all or nothing and that the Dons needed the win the win that in the end with Hibs losing at Tynecastle would have seen them make it in the top six against all the odds but they just couldn't do it could they. No, no, desperately frustrating, um, and you know a lot of the reaction from you know Joe Lewis and to a lesser extent Jim Goodwin because he's not been there for the, the whole season was um, you know along the lines that it, it summed up the season in in one performance really um, they had lots of the ball um, didn't really create a, an awful lot to be honest uh, I mean they they didn't really have much of a an answer to what was a you know, a very well-structured back line. Um, you know, the two Ross County centre-halves, Jack Baldwin and Jakovic, were were really impressive. And uh, the longer the game went on, the more they just enjoyed defending, which, uh, you know, was never where Aberdeen wanted to be uh, in, in the latter stages of of the game when they, they knew that they needed the three points, uh, not just the one. But, um, no, it, it, it was a really poor opening 45 minutes and... To be honest, the, the longer the game went on, you know, it just seemed to suit County better to to have that that late flourish on the break, and um, that's exactly how the how the game panned out in the end. I think um, we won't go too deep into the penalty controversy because it's very clear that Ross County deserved a penalty earlier in the game. I don't quite know how the officials missed Connor Barron wiping out uh, Regan Charles Cook in the area, but of course it didn't matter in the end with. Johnny Hayes, I think, harshly punished for a handball and Hungbo getting the chance to take what, in the circumstances, was a very cool penalty, basically a chip, basically a penenka down the middle, although he hit it slightly harder than maybe a penenka would be to beat the keeper. Uh, a lot of chat afterwards about certain Don's players. I'm, I'm seeing Christian Ramirez getting increasing amounts of stick now. Are you seeing the same, Danny? A lot of it being a striker, the kind of striker he is, which is like a penalty box predator sort of striker a lot of it is down to service and maybe he's being asked to do things that he doesn't necessarily suit doing but I mean in those circumstances when it's backs against the wall fans naturally want to see players doing things don't they yeah well I was, I was actually talking to a, a Don supporting friend yesterday and he was um, bemoaning Ramirez a little bit but for me I mean Christian Ramirez what he does is he's you know that typical quintessential penalty box striker you're not really expecting him to be running channels. His link-up play generally isn't that good. Um, it's more, you know, if you put the put the ball into the box and then he's 
you know, more often than not going to find um, the back of the net. So, I mean, I think it's been pretty clear what his strengths are as a player and where his, um, where his, you know, his weaknesses or the areas that he's got to develop are. But at his age, that's probably not going to happen. You've more got to base your team around trying to create chances for him um, because, you know, his finishing is, is really good and that is his strength and that's what he can do. But yeah, if you're expecting him to build and create attacks for others, then that's that's not something that he's really done too much this season. Um, so, so yeah, but obviously if he's not getting the service, then yeah, he can't do too much. What these kind of two sides have shown, putting them against each other is how you go about orchestrating a rebuild because you look at how many new players County have brought in this season it's well into double digits it's more than Aberdeen brought in and in theory Aberdeen had a better starting point in terms of quality of players and where they finished last season so you would think there would be less work for Aberdeen to do but they've been overtaken by by Ross County so they've got to be questions there and I know there have been kind of throughout the season in terms of performances, recruitment, tactics as even to how... Even appointing the manager well, last, yeah, last year. That was, I think that was, that's a question mark that everyone has, has picked up upon. And I think as far as Aberdeen go, there's probably going to be more pain before there's, there's gain. I mean, I don't, th- I don't think they'll go down. I don't think they'll be troubled by the relegation playoff. But I still think there's going to be more bumps in the road before we start seeing signs of progress. Because as I think we mentioned over the last couple of weeks... Jim Goodwin's making a lot of big decisions early on, as we've seen Scott Brown going, um, Andy Considine going, changes in the coaching staff. There's fairly significant ones, I think, that will come in the summer as well. And he's maybe trying to get them all in early and give himself a better kind of starting point to, to go from rather than, say, doing them incrementally. But I think on the flip side, you've got to give... Um, Ross County a lot of credit for the way they've kind of gone about this season. I was one of them, one of the kind of sceptics at the start of the season when I looked at how they were putting the squad together with a lot of loan players that they'd got rid of a lot of experience over the summer and there was a lot of kind of fallout from the way they handled that. But you look at the kind of the the team that they've built this season, you're probably starting to get a little bit of consistency in team selection as well. And to finish in the top six for, I think, Andy might be able to correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think it's the third, only the third time in their history, they finished in the, in the top six. I think they did it once under Derek Adams and once under under Jim McIntyre. Um, so, yeah. to, so they've pulled that from the season, the start of the season they had with no wins in the first 10 games. I think you've got to give them um, a lot of credit. On Aberdeen's relegation prospects then, my view of it is this, that Aberdeen start their top six fixtures, their bottom six fixtures with Livingston and Dundee at home win both those games, then at very worst, they're still going to be kind of six points clear of St Johnston with three to play. You'd hope that St Johnston, given they're playing Dundee than St Mirren, if you're an Aberdeen fan, you'd hope that St Johnston take maximum maybe like three points from those two games. So with three to play, should Aberdeen win their first two, it would be like a nine-point gap. So they'd be safe, basically. But my fear is if Aberdeen don't win the first two games... The pressure ramps up with every game in the bottom six that don't win. Obviously, it relies on St Johnston winning games as well, but it starts to get, the longer it goes on, it starts to get more and more hairy, yeah? Yeah, but, I mean, Aberdeen start with a six-point advantage over St Johnston. It's effectively seven because of the goal difference. So St Johnston would need to, you know, make seven more points than Aberdeen. Obviously, if they, if they were to win the... 
you know, the, the head-to-head game that they've got, then it would only be four. But I still think that's, you know, quite a big ask for, you know, a St. Johnston team that has really struggled to get wins this season. I mean, you're going to be looking at them requiring, you know, 10 points, 12 points, something like that, to overtake the Dons. That kind of seems unlikely. I think the run of fixtures actually favours Aberdeen, that the fact they've got two home games to start with. Um, and then they're going into those... Those are vital games, though, because you wouldn't want to be going into Hibs away and St. Johnson away if you've not taken a decent, you know, at least four points, I guess, from those first two games. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty confident that I don't think Aberdeen will get embroiled in the relegation playoff and they'll manage to kind of keep that gap up over, over St. Johnson. The one thing they don't have is, obviously, momentum just now and, no. you know, if, and they've just got a lack of that just now. But if... Um, if they can pick up a win in the the first game, then I think they'll they'll move away from that danger area quite quickly. Nice and optimistic. Um, before we move on to Ross County specifically, not just the game at the weekend, so look at Ross County's prospects going forward. We've talked a little bit about Jim Goodwin's rebuild. Now, last week we knew Andy Considine was going and the controversy around that. Michael Devlin and J. Manuel Thomas, their departures have now been confirmed. They've gone with immediate effect, which is presumably cost the club. Certainly in Jets' case, a bit of money. Um, but do we also feel that people like Funzo Ojo, Dylan McGee, Connor McLennan, maybe Dean Campbell, are players like that at risk come this summer? Do we think of being moved on? I think there will be some more kind of, what you say, kind of squad player changes over the summer. I think Funzo and Dylan are already kind of out of contract. And I think we've heard murmurings that they may be two of the, the ones that are moved on. I think Conor McLennan, I think we've said before, having played over 100, 100 times for, for Aberdeen, we're still not kind of sure what kind of impact he has on has on games or he's maybe not, he's not done enough to justify himself as a regular pick and maybe he should kind of move on elsewhere and go and get himself game time. Dean Campbell's, Dean Campbell's a strange one because he's someone that I've always liked. I know a, f- a few Dons fans and a, one or two of my colleagues. Screaming <laughs> at their phones. Uh, probably haven't kind of, been as high on him as as I have, but I've I've always kind of been impressed with him. He's a kind of he's obviously a very neat and tidy player. And I remember Derek McInnes speaking midway through last season that they were trying to bring that aggressive side to his game. And there's obviously McInnes obviously sees something in him as well as he's taken him to Kilmarnock this season. I think Dean is he's someone worth persevering with and worth worth looking at for next season. I know they're kind of they're going to be looking for something at left back next season. Maybe that's where. They could use Dean Campbell. Who knows? Um, I think there will be there will be more changes come. There has to be um, because there's, there's players there that are maybe symptomatic of the problem that we've got. And you've got you've got players left over from the Kinnis era. You've got players that Stephen Glass has brought in, and you've got a third manager who's not really signed any of them. So the yeah, you're going to expect Jim Goodwin to come in, and while he he has identified a number of players that will be key to his plans, like Ross McCrory and Connor Barron, who I know is uh, flavour of the month um, in, the, in, in the Don's uh, in the Don's team and in this office, I think. Um, but there will be players that Jim will want to kind of move on, or players elsewhere that he wants to to be part of what he's doing at Aberdeen. Twofold question, Andy, for you before we move on from the Don's. Then, if you were Jim Goodwin, would you have started your rebuild at this point, or would you have waited until the summer? I know a lot of Don's fans have, you know, they were pointing to the the morale um, impact from the rebuild starting so early at the weekend after the Dons lost and also Conor Barron, did he impress you? Um, the two 
Well, the first part of that, it's a difficult one because, I, I mean, I'll, I'll touch on this with, with County later, but um, it, it, it was really apparent that, you know, the trust and understanding that, that the visitors had on the afternoon just wasn't quite there yet with, with the Dons. And, and that's not really Jim Goodwin's fault because he came in with a transfer window and clearly there is going to be, you know, a, a transition period with that. But, um, you know, clearly he has wanted to, you know, highlight that, you know, there's there's players in that squad that, that he doesn't see being being part of the, the future for Aberdeen. And um, I think more just to, to try and get a reaction from the, the, the fans and, and getting behind him and his long-term uh, rebuild, I can kind of understand why he's he's done that. Um, but, uh, I mean, certainly one player that will be part of that in the long term is Conor Barron. Probably one of his quieter games. I mean, I, I haven't seen too much of him, but uh, you know, I, I did quite like the way that he he was always kind of keen on on getting hold of the ball and um, you know trying to to at least make things happen. Uh, Aberdeen had, as I say, a lot of possession, but they, they just weren't able to get through the the lines. Uh, and I think that that comes down to just a, a lack of understanding at that top end of the pitch uh, and, and you know Jim Goodwin perhaps feels he doesn't quite have the tools yet to to truly engage Christian Ramirez as uh, Danny was touching on earlier on uh, in, in the podcast they also lacked kind of game changers from the bench there there wasn't really a uh, you know a figure that they could look to to, to really come on and uh, bring them that, that cutting edge when they need it, needed it the most so uh, clearly, a, a lot of work that needs to be done, and you know, if, if Jim Goodwin was going to hold out on, uh, you know, announcing some of the departures, then it certainly would have been a case of delaying the inevitable, as far as I'm concerned. There's something that you said, isn't there, for the fact that Aberdeen Ross County, uh, one side historically far uh, bigger, better supported than the other, go toe to toe with so much on the line. And county come out on top. That probably says a lot about counties um, where they are at the moment as a club in terms of confidence and in terms of togetherness. And well, I mean they can play a bit as well. But can they play? Can they play a bit to the point where we think they can really make a challenge for Europe for the first time uh, this season? Have you got your passport looked out, Andy? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't expire. It doesn't expire till next summer. So uh, no, I think we're 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 okay for now. Um, I know that could be a complicated one this time around, but uh, no, no. I mean, I think they've got as good a chance as, as anybody, but given just the nature of of you know the the lower half of the top six, if you like. Um, you know, you've got three teams in Dundee United, Ross County, and Motherwell that are all really closely matched. Um, obviously, the, the top three are well out of reach, but uh, you know there is that feeling that County kind of snuck their way into the, the top six. I saw a stat going around at the weekend that uh, of the 33 match days over the course of the season, this is only the, the second one after which they've they've been in the top half. So quite quite remarkable that they've, they've timed it to such perfection. But you, you look at Motherwell on the, the flip side of that, um, they've won one league game since the winter break and, and they've made it. So, um, you know, it's it's really open for them if, if they want to, to go and make a push. Uh, the, the other crucial factor is that they're at home to both of those clubs in the the, the post split fixtures um, quite late on in the uh, uh, you know in the season. So, y- given the home record that 
we've spoken about before, County will feel really optimistic, I think, going into this and, you know, just what a, an achievement it would be to, to see European football in Dingwall for the very first time. Record crowds in Dingwall for the, those uh, post-split games, do you think? I would say so, yeah. I mean, certainly as far as the home fans are concerned, they've, they've had some good crowds and, uh, you know, fixtures against the old firm, Aberdeen, and obviously the Highland derbies over the years as well. But in terms of, you know, bringing out a uh, a record home support. I, I would say that European football would 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 certainly, uh, you know, attract those that maybe haven't been coming quite as as regularly in recent times. How massive in terms of county? You know, taking that next step as a club, up as a club, would European football be? You know, because the money they would gain from that potentially. I mean, they'll already get a lot more money this season in terms of prize money for their league finish, probably. But you know. In terms of, there are a couple of them that try to get players to tie down in long-term deals, trying to move away from a model that's based on short-term deals and loans and things like that. But if they have like that, that financial boost from Europe over the summer, it will go a long way to helping them do that, won't it? Very much so. Yeah, it's you know the timing couldn't really be better for them because they you know although they have gone through a rebuild already, as Jamie mentioned. They're kind of in the midst of another one with a bit more of a long-term approach, um, and we've seen that already with you know the players that they've already tied down. But you know there's there still are a few more to go, and uh, I mean I, I still think it would be a long shot, but you never know. It could be the, the sort of thing you know qualifying for Europe that that may be the the clinching factor in in perhaps getting a Regan Charles Cook to uh, you know sign on for another year or so. Uh, you just you just never know, but uh, no, it's it, it's obviously a, a crucial juncture in in Ross County's sort of plan, I suppose that that would have been laid out when Malky Mackay joined last summer, and I think they're actually quite quite fortunate in a way that you know they've got in, you know Malky in charge with with his experience, um, you know he's clearly a a manager that's got a bit of business acumen behind him as well from his, his time at the SFA where he had a, a very senior role I, th- I think he's he's got a a bit of savvy there that you know Roy McGregor will be able to dip into a wee bit just in terms of how to to really structure the club in a in a long-term way um, and obviously the the loan signings that we we've mentioned uh, there was a feeling that County were perhaps relying a bit too much on that at the, the start but that was kind of out of necessity and I, I did notice at the the weekend there was only one lone player in the the starting lineup. That was uh, Jake Bokins. Obviously, Joe Hungbo came off the the bench to get the the winner. But there are slow signs that you know a little bit of more stability is arriving at Dingwall. And um, I think you know with his recruitment team and well mainly Enda Barron who who kind of oversees the analysis and um, recruitment side of things. I, I'm pretty sure there will be sort of long-term plans uh, in place with a view to this summer's transfer business. And, uh, you know, it does, it promises to be quite a, an exciting time for, for the Staggies, I would say. I thought that answer was never going to end, uh, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's let's have a break. <laughs> Next up, we'll discuss Cali Thistle, uh, their winning run coming to an end in the championship at the weekend. 
Northern Goal is brought to you in association with Aberdeen Sports Village. With memberships to suit all ages, Aberdeen Sports Village is for everyone in the community. I'm there all the time to interview athletes, play football on the indoor pitches, swim or use the gym. But you can also dive, choose from over 100 exercise classes, play racket sports, chill in the sauna and steam room, run on the athletics track and more. Achieve your goals at Aberdeen Sports Village. Search for Aberdeen Sports Village online for more information. Okay, so Cali Thistle at the weekend, well on their way to getting a fourth championship win in a row against Air United. Somerset Park, 2-0 up at halftime. What happened? 2-2 draw in the end, which I think has virtually ended their hopes of overtaking our growth in second, would be safe to say? Yeah, potentially. I so. No, I think, I mean, it's at this point, because I think once once they took that two-goal lead, you were expecting that, you know, they'd go on and, you know, pick up another win which had been so crucial at this stage um, so yeah, you could tell post-match that Billy Dodds was very frustrated um, with how that game panned out but it sounded you know, like Air United were a team transformed in the second second half um, so you know, every point's crucial at this stage of the season I still think that you know, Cali Thistle can do something in the in the playoffs but, um, but obviously you know, if you're Finishing second, it's you know much easier to to try and win promotion than if you're finishing third and fourth and you're having extra games to play. It's um, it's always tough to to try and get get promotion from that position. Yeah, I think I think it's it's going to be a case of them now just trying to to go into the playoffs with some sort of winning run behind them. Um, I mean, they looked like they had the potential to to do that in spectacular style with the, the three wins that they'd picked up before this game. Um, and to be honest, the, although they've got Kilmarnock coming this weekend uh, on Friday night, they, you know they do have fixtures against teams sort of further down the league that might allow them to, to kind of go into the the playoffs with yeah just a bit of momentum behind them. But I think yeah overhauling um, our growth is going to be a, a tall order. So uh, you know if it if it does come to it, then it, it probably is third place that they're they're looking at realistically. Um, you know, picking up. How how impressive has has Reese McAleer been of late? I noticed he was see linked with St Johnston and, and St Mirren, and I know St Johnston seem to do quite a lot of their shopping in the Highlands at the minute. Obviously, having Jamie McCart and Sean Rooney, and they obviously tried to bring in Robbie Dees um, in January. But I mean, how how impressive has has he been? I know he's on loan from Norwich, and Billy Dodds kind of spoke quite passionately about his absence from the, the Scotland under-21 setup as he start, kind of nailed himself down as a, a regular starter at Inverness? He certainly has, yeah. Um, I, I was at the game against Dunfermline, um, which kind of prompted that uh, that rant from Billy Dodds about you know, why he... <laughs> and, uh, yeah, um, about why he should have been in the, the under-21s. And, it, you know, the timing was there because the, the, the under-21s had just taken a, a sore one the night before. But um, no, I, I think it's it's clear that Reese Brant McAleer is a, a player that that really has flourished as a result of getting first team football. Although it's in the championship, I think perhaps he's been given that that exposure uh, that he may not have it may not have come quite as readily for him. And you know, had he been at a, a higher level in the, the Premiership, for example, because uh, he's he's still. You know, just a, a young lad, um, nineteen or twenty or so. So, um, you know, very highly rated um, in, in terms of 
uh, you know, the the fact that Norwich paid a, a transfer fee to sign him from from Motherwell, his long term future still in the balance a wee bit because he's out of contract at Norwich at the end of the season. But I suppose when when, when you compare, you know, the fact that McAleer has been getting game time, albeit in the Championship, but you know others in the the under twenty one squad haven't, then you can you can see how that would make him a more rounded option for. Uh, you know, games at that level. He's not going to leave Inverness, a Premiership team for St John. Well, I know, I know he's on loan at the moment, but he'd, he'd rather come back to a Premiership team, surely, than Championship St Johnson next season. <laughs> anyway, let's move on from Inverness. Obviously, big game under the Friday night lights at the Caledonian Stadium this Friday, which I think we'll all be tuning for to see Inverness romp to victory against Derek McInnes's Kilmarnock. Um, but yeah. We'll see if that happens, if that transpires. But next up, we'll discuss Cove, Peterhead, and then a little bit at the end on uh, Elgin City and their most recent dead rubber. Okay, Jamie, Cove. As the battery on our podcasting machine comes near to its its end, we'll try and get through this. Uh, 2-0 win at Falkirk at the weekend. Ended that run of draws that covered on that two-game run of draws. Not bad for a team that was missing both of their star strikers by the end. Uh, Harry Milne, who we've talked about often enough this season at left-back, getting the two goals to secure a 2-0 win over the, the, the full-timers. Um, will Cove win the league this weekend, Jamie? I'd hope so. Um, just, well, mainly because they've got another home game next week and it would be nice, I suppose, for the supporters to have to see the trophy presented to them on the field at the Balmoral Stadium rather than having to then go down to East Fife on the last day of the season and get the trophy presented there. It would, it would take a little bit of the shine off it, I would you think. You got a night out that night or something? Is that the, is that the issue? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. No, no. Um, but Saturday was just about the perfect day for them. It was a relatively comfortable afternoon. Um, I have to say, Falkirk are a poor side. They don't look like they're going anywhere fast um, against more kind of polished opposition. I think Cove might have struggled without both Mitch Meganson and Rory McAllister. Um, with Meganson, it was a case of resting up a groin problem that he'd picked up against Queen's Park. And from what Paul Harley was saying, it was a case of resting him for, for one game or risk playing him and then losing him for the remainder of the season, which they didn't want to do. Um, and then Rory McAllister... It seemed fairly innocuous from from where I was sat, but he kind of went down and stayed down, and it was his calf. And then he, we saw him kind of coming on the end, coming onto the field at the end of the game on crutches and in a boot. So I don't think that one looks too good. Um, we'll have to wait and see whether he's available for for Alloa this weekend. But when they need someone to step up, Harry Milne has done it more than most this season, and it's two different types of goals. The first one's a it's a great cross to be fair by Shea Logan to the back post and Harry's got above his man to head it back across goal and then the second one he's he's played in an aggressive he stayed in a kind of an aggressive attacking position and, he's, and they've pressed well nicked the ball at the edge of the area and he's just whipped it past um, Robbie Much in the Falkirk goal and there was never really then any doubt that they were going to go on and win the game you know talking twenty three games unbeaten which is an incredible record. You would think if Airdrie put together a 17-game unbeaten run that they would be top of the pile looking for the title, but they've been surpassed by Cove. And I don't see Cove losing before the end of the season. So whether that means 
win the title this weekend or next weekend. I'd hope to do it. They do it at home, so they get the kind of the title presentation before the end of the season at home. I don't see any. I don't foresee any problems with them in the way they've approached most games. They've not. I don't think they're any. They're not a club that's going to kind of take the. They're not going to chuck it now. No, they're not going to take the foot off the gas before the job's done. Okay, I think the scenario. What is it? Airdrie must lose at Dumbarton or to Dumbarton and Cove need to beat Alloway. That's the that's the title this weekend scenario. Yeah, yeah. this gap's five points. So basically, if if Airdrie don't win against Dumbarton, which Airdrie, are, I think Airdrie are at home, so I th- I would expect Airdrie to win, but Dumbarton would still probably not give up on catching Peter Head. Um, so they need points as well, which may play into Cove's hands and say Cove haven't lost a league game at home this season, so I don't think it'll start on Saturday. When are Peter Head going to be safe from the drop? Obviously, they drew 1-1 with their, their sort of rivals down for that relegation spot. Dumbarton, I think the gap's still four points as a result. Um, I mean, if, if the Blue Team get a win this weekend, is that is that enough? I mean, if, if Dumbarton lose, surely a seven-point gap would be insurmountable. Well, seven points with two games would be insurmountable. Um, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, uh, factually, factually, I was correct. Um, yeah, so you'd have, you'd have thought after their back-to-back wins that they had against Falkirk and Clyde that they were going to be safe. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the agree game, I can't push you. Um, yeah, you'd have thought after the wins against Falkirk and Clyde they would have been safe. Um, but... If they'd if they'd have beat Dumbarton, then I would have said it was it was done and dusted. But a point, surely not, surely not. A point, a point is better than none. Done there to keep the to keep the kind of the gap at four points with with three to play. Um, Peter Head at home to Queens Park this Saturday, who haven't really got anything left to play for. They will, I don't think they're going to get caught by Falkirk and. There's nothing because of the way the the championship to League One playoffs are structured. There's nothing really to gain, maybe apart from like playing home or away first. Um, so it would at the minute it looks like Queens Park would probably play the championship team in the semi-finals of the playoff, and then it would be Edrie against Montrose. Um, I think a win for Peterhead at home would obviously do it, and I think. It would kind of take the pressure off a little bit then for these for these last two games. Um, three games unbeaten. They've given themselves a, a fighting chance from a period where it looked difficult to see where wins were coming from when it was like, well, I think it was one win in 12. They've they've got a couple of key wins at the right time and I think they'll be, they'll be fine. Yeah, they'll be looking to do a sort of Ross County next season though and get away from this season after season uh, <laughs> battle uh, anyway we're nearly there let's just have a quick battery check okay the battery looks to be holding up okay Andy very briefly Elgin City as we've discussed their season's over they were out to prove at the weekend they were Steny standard they did not prove that will they prove their Sterling Albion standard this weekend uh, well that's that's the next uh, next objective really yeah um I think Gavin Price was looking to to try and you know just show that that Elgin you know do belong higher up the table. They've got players that are you know just a, a match for for some of the sides that are that are competing for the promotion spots. But um, yeah, just with every passing week, their uh, their target seems to to draw ever so 
bit closer to, to where they are just now and that's that remains ninth place. Um, they're up against Sterling Albion who are seventh and look to be probably the most realistic team that they can they can haul in along with Albion Rovers. Um, so it's it's very disappointing. Obviously, we've we've said it all before, really, with regards to Elgin's season. But uh, yeah, no, it's um, they've got a good record against Sterling Albion this season, to be fair. But uh, no, it's it's very much pride on on the line at this stage, and uh, yeah, just three games left to to try and produce some sort of winning formula to to go into the summer with. That's all for this episode of Northern Goal. Thanks to. Danny, Jamie, for joining me locally today, as well as Andy for taking part remotely. Cheers, guys. No worries. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to rattle this off really quickly. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can like and subscribe on your favourite podcast app. You can email us any questions or queries at northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk. But yeah, uh, join us next week. Thank you and goodbye. Hope you loved the episode. And if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.